Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna, and as always, alongside me, fellow Pensburg writer, Robbie Noggle. Robbie, how have you been since our last episode last week? I've been pretty good, Garrett. Not much to complain about. I wish we were watching some hockey right now instead of having to sit through a um, little COVID pause here. But, I mean, other than that, um, happy, healthy, and ready for Christmas. Yeah, exactly, Robbie. That's going to be the, the main topic this week. We'll be talking about the, the stoppage in play uh, in, in our next segment here. Uh, but first, we do have a couple of games to talk about, a couple of games on the docket for the Penguins as they continue their dominant stretch of play. Uh, we'll start with the game on December 17th against the Buffalo Sabres, a game in which the Penguins would win by a score of 3-2 to two in overtime. Uh, let's see, Robbie, this was a game, uh, the, the Penguins, they looked pretty solid in my estimation, peppering Sabres goaltender Malcolm Subban with 48 shots on goal, winning 55% of their faceoffs, going one for four on the power play. Evan Rodriguez gets the scoring going uh, at fi- the 5.53 mark of the first period, gives Pittsburgh a one nothing lead on the power play. That's Rodriguez's 10th goal of the season. Uh, that would be all the scoring you'd see in the first period of play. In the second period, uh, another depth forward for Pittsburgh, Brock McGinn, gets his eighth goal of the season at the 6:45 mark of the second period. Now Pittsburgh out to a two nothing lead. However, Zemgus Gergensens would break the shutout for Buffalo, getting his sixth tally of the season at the 12:35 mark of the second period. Pittsburgh's lead now just down to one goal. However, Pittsburgh still leading by a score of two to one going into the third period of play. 
And into the third period of play we go. Rasmus Dahlin gets his sixth goal of the season for the Sabres to tie the game up at two goals apiece for both teams at the 14-42 mark of the last frame in regulation. The Penguins and Sabres would go into an overtime period, three-on-three, where Jeff Carter would get the game-winning tally for the Pittsburgh Penguins thanks to a nice dish by Chris Letang, his 19th assist on the season. That is Carter's ninth goal of the season. Gives the Penguins a 3-2 overtime win. They get the extra point, and overtime Pittsburgh wins, like I said, by a score of 3-2 over the Sabres. So, Robbie, uh, not a ton of offense here and not a ton of offense in the next game against the Devils as well. But uh, overall, I, I think the the message taken away from this game is, number one, uh, we're getting more depth contributions, which is always a great thing. I had my reservations about Brock McGinn specifically uh, when GM Ron Hextall signed him to that four-year contract during free agency. But he's been nothing short of spectacular in terms of Penguins' depth players. Evan Rodriguez now in double digits on the season for goals, having by far the best season of his career. Jeff Carter getting the game-winning goal as well. Always nice to get a contribution from big Jeff Carter. Uh, Robbie, I'll hand it over to you. What were your thoughts? What were your takeaways from the game against the Buffalo Sabres on December 17th? This was, uh, for the most part, a very good Penguins performance. Um, they really dominated play. They had the bulk of the shots. Evan Rodriguez back in the scoreboard should have had two, if not for that incredible save by Malcolm Subban uh, behind his back, uh, that stole a goal from, uh, Rodriguez after he already had one in that game. Uh, but overall, just a very good performance from the Penguins. It's just unfortunate that they couldn't get it done in regulation, um, but, I mean, yeah, you got to give credit Buffalo for fighting, fighting, fighting uh, to stay in that game and uh, be able to snag a point out of it. Um, this week, earlier this week, uh, our other fellow writer here at Pensbury, Adam Gretz, had a piece uh, talking about the value the Penguins found in uh, free agency. And one of those guys uh, was Brock McGinn. And technically, uh, so was Evan Rodriguez, even though he was on the team last season. He was a free agent. Uh, when the Penguins signed him uh, in the offseason, re-signed him to that one-year deal. And the piece really hit home just how much value the Penguins are getting out of out of some of these guys. And both of them, or two of them, came through again in this game against the Sabres in that uh, they got the two goals in regulation. And then if you want to keep going uh, into overtime, uh, looking at more more moves that Ron Hextall has made that have paid off in a big way. Jeff Carter gets the goal in overtime um, on a nice dish by Chris Letang on a mini rush uh, about midway through the overtime period. So, I, I mean, the Penguins found incredible value in these guys, and uh, credit has to go to uh, Ron Hextall and company for finding these kind of diamonds in the rough that have been uh, very important to what the Penguins have done this year. And uh, that was on full display in in this game against Buffalo. And when guys like Crosby uh, aren't necessarily producing the points and guys like Gensel and Russ and Malkin are out, you need your depth to be good. The Penguin depth is really, really good. Um, and it's been on full display this year. And credit goes to Ron Hextall uh, and Brian Burke for finding those uh, pieces and getting them into Pittsburgh. And so far it's paid off. And uh, this game against Buffalo is a perfect example of that. 
Robbie, I couldn't agree with you more. And as we move towards the next game, uh, the Penguins would play the New Jersey Devils on December 19th. And uh, Robbie, uh, Robbie, it was more of the same from, uh, I, I like what you said there, when, when Crosby isn't, you know, isn't registering the points on the score sheet, you know, I had my reservations coming into this season because they were already going to be without Evgeny Malkin for a prolonged period of time. Uh, Sidney Crosby was uh, continuing to recover from offseason wrist surgery. So did the Penguins have enough quality depth and quality players to put the puck in the net? And I'm happy to say to this point that I've been proven wrong here. As we uh, get the recap going for uh, the following game here against the Devils, really, uh, I remember reading the recap on Pensburg.com thanks to uh, our overlord, Hooks Orpik. He put out the recap that night. And uh, he said, first and foremost, out front, it wasn't the Penguins' prettiest game here. Uh, the Penguins only had registered 22 shots on goal, 0 for 2 on the power play. And they win this game, again, by a score of 3-2. to 2. It wasn't, again, it wasn't their prettiest game. And you're going to have games like this throughout an 82-game season. However, the depth, again, stepped up. Teddy Bluger getting a shorthanded goal for the Penguins, his seventh goal of the season at the 9-19 mark of the first period of play. Into the second period now, Danton Heinen, another another quality free agent piece from, uh, from general manager Ron Hextall, bringing him in, getting Pittsburgh out to a 2-0 lead, getting his ninth goal of the season at the 103 mark of the second period. And uh, boy, Robbie, I don't know. I'm going to butcher this guy's first name, I know. I'm going to say Yanni Kuokinen getting the Devils on the board, cutting Pittsburgh's lead now down 2-1, to Quokinen getting his fourth goal of the season, and uh, both teams would head into the second intermission of play, Pittsburgh up by a score of 2-1. to Mike Matheson would score his third goal of the season at the 9-31 mark of the third period, Pittsburgh's lead out again to a two-goal margin, Pittsburgh leading by a score of 3-1, to and Nathan Bastion would score his fourth goal of the season on the power play for the Devils uh, right around the halfway mark of the third period. Uh, on the power play to cut Pittsburgh's lead down again. However, Pittsburgh was able to stave off the Devils for the remainder of regulation, hold on to win this game by a score of 3-2. to two. This would be the Penguins' seventh win in a row. Robbie, before the NHL put everything on hold due to COVID surges and everything surrounding that matter, uh, you could make the argument, Robbie, and I think you could make the argument pretty easily that with the Penguins winning their seventh game in a row, they were certainly one of the most dominant, if not the most dominant team in the NHL before uh, everything, before the pause button was pushed. And uh, we'll get to that momentarily. But first, Robbie, I'll hand it over to you to give your thoughts on what was a very, uh, a very unattractive yet still impressive two points the Penguins take from the New Jersey Devils. Like you said, ugly, uh, not pretty, but hey, two points is two points, and you take that every day of the week. Uh, you get to that seventh straight win, and we didn't know it at the time, but you enter this little break here with that momentum uh, taking you into the into the off time, and you hope that, that momentum remains when you. Uh, come out of that in uh, hopefully next week. So what the Penguins are doing is uh, it's good right now. And yeah, this game was ugly. It wasn't a game that you're going to probably remember in who knows how many in at the end of the season, but you're just going to know that they got two points and you had Teddy, again, the depth, Teddy Bluger, Danton Heinen, Mike Matheson with the goals. Uh, 
Um, again, Denton Heinen kind of fall, he also falls into that category of offseason acquisitions that um, have been of great value to the Penguins. That another one of those guys that uh, Ron Hextall and Brian Burke um, kind of kind of dug out of nowhere. It seems like now Heinen did have some pedigree from his days in Boston. But all that offensive upside kind of vanished when he went to a team in Anaheim who overall wasn't really that good. So he didn't have the talent around him like he did in Boston or now like he does back in Pittsburgh where he is he can score. He can he he gets his the assists. He's he just he thrives on having that talent around him. And he has that in Pittsburgh, but he did not have that in Anaheim. So uh, another big win for the Penguins again this time of year. Two points is two points. You're seven in a row with everything going on around the league. Uh, you just hope that uh, you stay healthy, and the Penguins so far have stayed healthy through all this, and let's just hope that that keeps up uh, whenever this break ends, which is hopefully uh, next week, and we don't have to – they're not sitting on the sidelines too long, and the Penguins can get back to winning hockey games, um, whether it's pretty or not, uh, here as soon as possible. Well, as we mentioned, Robbie, the, the Penguins and the rest of the NHL are currently sitting uh, sitting idle right now as the league tries to manage the the recent surge in COVID-19 cases around the league. And the NHL and the Penguins are not the only team or not the only league being impacted by this, as I know the NFL and the NBA. Basically, if you're a professional sports league in North America – you're being impacted by COVID-19 in a variety of ways, and this is just the most recent, uh, most recent line of uh, of surges here. So, Robbie, we're going to dive into it uh, because there's not a lot of game action to recap after the recap segment. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on what we're seeing right now because uh, what we know about COVID-19 is that it's to expect the unexpected when it comes to the virus. Uh, so the COVID surges have paused the NHL season through at least Christmas Day. The NHL and the NHLPA have since jointly announced that NHL players will also not be participating in the 2022 Beijing Olympics, uh, which is, I'm sure it's a bummer for a lot of players who take a lot of pride in representing their their national uh, their national team their their countries. Uh, I know C- Sidney Crosby was on Penguins.com recently and sat down to be interviewed about not going to the Olympics, and he he said it was unfortunate to a lot of for a lot of players who really won't have this opportunity because, as he put it, this isn't something that you can reschedule. Uh, two weeks from now or a month from now and say, all right, we'll just kick the can down the road. You can't do that with something like the Olympic Games that come every four years or so. So, you know, overall, it is unfortunate for the players who wanted that chance to uh, represent their their home countries and won't be able to do it for another four years. We'll see if the NHL grants the players a little gift. And I know I know that the players wanted a, a World Cup of hockey or a similar kind of tournament. We'll see if that happens. Uh, but Robbie, I- I'm curious t- to get your 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 opinion here. So, do you view this stoppage and the Olympic withdrawal as a positive or a negative from both a player's perspective and from the league's perspe- perspective? Put yourself in the shoes of a player and as a general manager and or a team owner. 
are, are are you taking this stoppage as a sign to say, all right, let's hit the pause button and, you know, we'll come out of this and, you know, maybe we'll, we'll be better on the other side of this stoppage? Or are, are you viewing it as, oh, great, okay, all of these games are going to have to be made up. You know, the, the NHL was already fitting in a lot of games into a short window, a compact window to try and have a sense of normalcy heading into the 2022 offseason. And now they're going to have to reschedule all of these games that have been missed. We'll see how many games get rescheduled during the Olympic break, Robbie. But I'll hand it over to you now. Uh, really, Robbie, I just want to get your thoughts, have a little bit of a conversation. What do you make of this work, this, this work stoppage and the withdrawal from uh, the 2022 Olympics? So from a player's perspective, first off, I think the stoppage is uh, from a, is probably positive because you had just so many guys in and out of the lineup. You had just so much unknowns, more testing, different protocols. You had, I mean, you were up and down. You had teams playing with what was essentially an AHL team at some point. So I think from a player's perspective, they get to go home. They get to rest, relax, be with their families over Christmas. They just don't have to think about hockey for a couple of days. They can just all go get healthy just and get ready to come back and go through testing and hopefully get the season started. So from a player's perspective, I think the pause is a is a positive. Um, from a the Olympic withdrawal, I think, is a negative for the players. They wanted to be there. It was collectively bargained that they could be there. Uh, not Obviously, not everybody would, would have been going, but I, I mean, yeah, it's a negative from the player's perspective. They wanted to be there. They, These guys dream of having the opportunity to go and play in the Olympics, represent their country. So absolutely. Um, f- from the player's perspective, leaving the Olympics is a negative. The owner's perspective, I think you have to look at a positive for the shutdown as well because, one, I mean, you have – your team battered, you've got like the same situation, guys in and out of lineup. What if you you have all these games you're playing with a limited lineup that could cost you valuable points in the standings? Here you get to shut it down, let everybody go home, rest, relax, get healthy, and once again, hopefully get that season back on with as little disruption as possible. And I think that's the big key is to, okay, yeah, you're shut down for eight, nine days, but it prevents something much worse happening in January or February that you have to completely shut down for weeks at a time. And you, I mean, now that you, you have that big gap in February that was scheduled off to begin with for the Olympics, you have that space to reschedule these games. Now that players aren't going to the Olympics uh, that you don't like, it's, it's just now take, take the, the minus, the negative now, and get it out of the way and in the long term it's a positive um from a league's perspective for players going to the olympics they don't really want their players there anyway owners don't want there's insurance issues and that's not even counting potential COVID issues uh there's injury issues um that you have to worry about that now you don't have to worry about that if they get injured playing for the team that's paying them hey that's a, that's the nature of the game but if a guy gets playing hurt playing in the olympics for his country then you're down a player for uh, for all that, uh, for all the games coming back. And when they come back, it's really pushing for the playoffs. So I think from a league perspective, it is a, 
um, it's a positive for the owners and the general managers not having to worry about uh, the health of their guys outside of normal team activities. But Garrett, you mentioned uh, the World Cup of Hockey, and it's been something that's been sticking with me in my head these past couple of days as we've been shut down, as they've had to withdraw the NHL players from the Olympics. It seems like such an easy thing that it's that it when you think about it, it makes sense the NHL would screw it up because it's so obvious and easy. The the blueprint is there. If you don't want to send your players to the Olympics, fine. Whatever, whatever. Why not every four years? You don't don't do a preseason because it's stupid in the preseason. Like I enjoyed watching it back in what was that, 2016? That was fun. But overall, the guys aren't, they're rusty. That's just not as, it doesn't feel like the excitement is there. It's so simple. Every four years, it doesn't have to be an Olympic year. Just pause the season, like a world junior tournament. All you need is like two weeks. Two weeks, you can still have an all-star game. Even blend it with the all-star game like they were going to do this year with the Olympics. Blend it with the all-star game. You can host it in Canada, the United States. If Finland or Russia or Sweden want to get involved, uh, maybe once with a host, hey, just it just seems so simple that you could do this every four years, doesn't it? I mean, you could just host the World Cup of Hockey. You could make it its own and as something that players actually want to win. Like, it doesn't have to be just a sideshow tournament. It can be an actual trophy that players take pride in winning replaces that Olympic experience because I mean the world championships I mean I think guys like going and they obviously like winning but again you're not getting the best of the best because the NHL playoffs are usually at the same time Um, it depends on when guys get knocked out so the World Cup hockey just seems like such an obvious idea that it's really not surprising the NHL has somehow screwed it up by not having it the fans want it the players want it Um, it, it was a world of fun in in 2016 with team north america and i will say that i know everybody loved team north america but if you're going to do a true world cup of hockey scrap the young the under 23 team north america just get your just like a normal olympic tournament united states russia canada sweden finland your big five there and then your the czechs and then have a qualifier for the final if you want to make a 10 team I, I i think it's is it eight for the for the Olympics? I think it's eight for the Olympics. Um, just have a qualifying tournament uh, for the or use like your world cup, the final world um, world championship standing, something like that. Um, it just seems so obvious that um, I'm shocked that the NHL has not tried to put something with this together with team up with the IAHF uh, and just get it done because it's what the players want, what the fans want, and it's you're gonna make money doing it. I mean, everybody loves money. The league loves money. They need, and right now they need the money. After the last two years, they need to recoup some of that revenue. I see no reason they shouldn't be uh, in the planning stages and getting ready to possibly even announce a World Cup of Hockey here in the very, very near future, and then have it scheduled every two to every every four years or something like that. Because it it would be such a great experience. Yeah, Robbie, absolutely. I mean, everything that you said there, I completely agree with. And the one thing that you, a couple of things that you said. Uh, really piqued my interest, especially 
having the World Cup of Hockey integrated during All-Star Weekend or All-Star Month, if you want to call it that or whatever. Like, that is such a great idea to have. Uh, it's I wasn't even thinking about it, ha- having it during an, all-star, an all-star type week or something like that, but have maybe the culmination of the event uh, occur around that time. It's just such a great idea. And that was my thought process as well, Robbie, is that the NHL is a league that relies so heavily on people coming and purchasing tickets and getting their revenue from tickets. And now they're they're not going to have that for a period of time. And we'll see where the we'll see where these COVID surges go uh, between now and the end of the regular season. Uh, like you said, Robbie, the the hope is that they come out of this relatively unscathed. Um, it's going to be a massive headache for the schedule makers to try and figure out. Uh, to try and and put the, all the puzzle pieces together to make sure all of the schedules align, and you know we can award a Stanley Cup sometime in June rather than take this into July. But the league is going to lose some money for a league that relies so heavily on uh, getting getting all of that revenue from ticket uh, from t- ticket purchases and things of that nature. It is Robbie. It seems like such a simple thing to do. Maybe they are in the early stages of planning something like this as a as a, a consolation kind of thing to the players, because like you mentioned, it was collectively bargained that these players were promised to go to an Olympic Games. Obviously, the pandemic uh, had something to to do with them not going, but uh, to have the ability to still represent your country, which I know a lot of these players uh, take a lot of pride in, it, it seems like such a slam dunk home run. Although, Robbie, I will say, uh, for you and I having uh, talked about the Penguins for this long, and for you and I having uh, uh, an external look at how the NHL operates on a, a day-to-day basis and a year-to-year basis, uh, one thing I think you'll agree with me in saying, Robbie, is that if there's a league that knows how to screw something up so easily, uh, it would be the NHL. So we'll see where this kind of World Cup of Hockey thing develops over the next couple of weeks or months, and we'll see if the players do get a chance to uh, to represent their countries and, like you said, Robbie, fight for something, fight for a trophy or a championship that the players will take pride in winning and have fun doing it, representing their country. So. We'll see uh, if the NHL and uh, the IIHF take uh, any any serious discussion moving forward because the Olympics are off the table. But that will be a discussion to monitor and a discussion for another day as we will shift from that discussion and we will shift into our mailbag segment. We have a couple of questions this week. Uh, if you're a long-time listener or first-time listener finding the Pensburg podcast, uh, we have a, a weekly mailbag segment. You can participate in this mailbag segment by following our Pensburg podcast Twitter account at Pensburg Pod at Pensburg Pod. Every week, we'll send out a mailbag tweet asking for your participation in this mailbag segment. Like always, you will get first crack at the first question. Both questions today come from the same person, uh, Brian, who has asked a couple of questions in the past. And Robbie, I deliberately put this question first for you because I know you're an older Penguins fan. You definitely have some experience, uh, some more experience than I do watching some uh, some older Penguins hockey. So Brian's first question is a, a fun hypothetical, and he wanted to get our take on it. 
The first question is, what if the Penguins had drafted Temu Solani in 1988 and had a top three forward grouping of Mario Lemieux, Yarmir Yager, and Timu Solani from 1993 to roughly 1997. It's really, I mean, if you think, I mean, just look at what 80, or 66 and 68 did um, in all those years. Imagine throwing in another Hall of Famer in uh, Timu Solani. And what he did as a rookie is just, I mean, insane. I mean, the Penguins drafted... Uh, fifth that year, or fourth, sorry, they drafted uh, Darren Shannon. Um, he, yeah, real quick, never played a game for the Penguins. Uh, he was drafted fourth overall and drafted before him, uh, which the Penguins never got a shot at, was Mike Madonna, who was in the Hall of Fame, and Trevor Linden, who was an NHL All-Star uh, during his career. And then just looking at, I mean, Solani ended up 10th. And this is selected by Winnipeg out of Finland. But drafted eighth was Jeremy Roenick, and drafted ninth was Rod Brendamore. So uh, the Penguins, um, I mean, they had some options there, uh, that's for sure. And it's unfortunate that um, they did pass on them. But again, that's one of those things that you look back on like, I mean, it's a great what if and a great hypothetical uh, to think about because that would have been some absolutely insane scoring because my goodness that is almost an unfair amount of a talent uh, but now if it's any consolation the fourth round that year the penguins did draft uh, mark recce 67th overall who didn't la- wasn't in pittsburgh a very long time but won a cup in pittsburgh as a player in 1991 and then returned to pittsburgh uh, as a in a front office role uh, and won uh, two more cups. So you do have Recky there, who was a Hall of Famer uh, that they drafted in the fourth round. Um, again, look, just looking at a quick um, overview of this draft, there was not a lot of big names drafted here, not a lot of guys that made a huge impact in the NHL. Um, there were uh, a few All-Stars. No one the Penguins really drafted made uh, much of a impact in the NHL outside of Mark Recchi. Uh, also drafted in 88 were Tony Amante uh, and Rob Blake. And as I mentioned before, uh, Jeremy Roenick, Rob Rendemore, Tamu Solani, Mike Madonna, and Trevor Linden as well. Uh, now a future Penguin was drafted 19th overall that year, Francois LaRue. Um, he was, if you're an old-time Penguins fan, know that he was a, a brutal uh, physical defenseman. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's very fun to hypothetical and think out what that could have been like if they would have drafted Solani, because there would have been some um, some goals scored in Pittsburgh more than there were already. So uh, a fun hypothetical and uh, one of those things like, man, I wish I could go back and see if I could put him on that team just to see how it would play out. And the second question is for you, Garrett, um, from Brian as well. Same Brian that asked the first question. Uh, what if, another hypothetical, what if Stahl accepts his 3C role and isn't traded uh, in 2012 for a first-round pick, Brandon Sutter and Brian Dumoulin? This is also a pretty fun hypothetical. If if Stahl accepts his 3C role, the Penguins, let, let's, say, uh, let's say Jordan Stahl is here to this day. That is a very dominant 
very competitive one, two, and top top three centers for any team in, in the league to match up against. Looking at what the Penguins got back for Jordan Stahl, that first round pick was the eighth overall pick in 2012, which went on to be Derek Pouliot. Uh, boy, his career flamed out and really did not amount to much. Uh, another first round bust for Ray Shiro uh, during his time here. Brandon Sutter was an, an, an okay depth player. Uh, I thought he was an okay third, fourth line center. Uh, you know, if you look at his his underlying advanced metrics, they are aren't very pleasing his possession metrics. Uh, uh, that's when I remember when, uh, when, when Sutter was traded here during the stall trade, that's when I started to really dig deeper into advanced analytics at that time and uh, started to really understand the importance of puck possession. And so uh, he, he was, he, Brandon Sutter was what he was. He was a, uh, he was a bottom six forward and he fulfilled that role uh, to the best of his ability until he was traded by Jim Rutherford for Nick Bonino. Trading, getting Sutter out of here for Nick Bonino. We know what Nick Bonino did here during his time with the black and gold. And Brian Dumoulin is interesting because he's morphed into that steady presence on the top pair alongside Chris Letang for, for so many years now. It's really interesting to try and see and figure out who would have, uh, who would have, uh, you know who would have been that that number two guy alongside Chris Letang on that top pair of the defense. Uh, a, a lot of the defensive prospects that Ray Shiro drafted during his tenure as Penguins general manager, a lot of them unfortunately really didn't pan out uh, the way I'm sure he hoped that a lot of them would have. But uh, having Dumoulin evolve into that steady present stay-at-home defenseman has really been a, a solid yin and yang for for Chris Letang's presence on that top pair. But it, it, it's something to, it's that's really something interesting to think about, Robbie. Same thing with Brian's first question. But I, I firmly believe had Stahl wanted to stay here uh, and you know not want to go play with his brother in, in Carolina, that would have been a very dominant one, two, three down the middle that NHL teams would still be dealing with to this day. You know it, it, these these fun what ifs. I always like I always like getting what if questions in the mailbag. It's always fun to look back and and try and change the course of history for the Penguins. But, uh, Robbie, that will just about do it for this episode of the Pensburg Podcast. I uh, want to thank Brian to, for sending the questions in this week. And uh, with this being, this is going to go out on Christmas Eve. So for those that celebrate Christmas or any of the December time holidays. I'd like to say happy holidays, Merry Christmas to all of the Pensburg podcast listeners and uh, happy holidays and Merry Christmas to you, Robbie. I think we'll, we will regroup next week right before we usher in 2022. So hopefully Robbie, hopefully 2022 comes in. Uh, we aren't as impacted by COVID and, and hopefully we get to award the, the Stanley cup in early to mid June. And Hey, who knows? Maybe we'll be, We'll be watching Crosby and Evgeny Malkin lift the Stanley Cup for what could be the final time. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, Robbie. Uh, happy holidays and uh, Merry Christmas to you, Robbie. Would you have anything else you'd like to say before we wrap it up? No. I Again, happy holidays and Merry Christmas to you as well, Garrett, and to all our listeners. Um, hopefully when we reconvene next Thursday or whenever that we are – at least have one game to recap and we're not still in the midst of a COVID shutdown. So maybe Santa will bring us some hockey. That, that is the gift that I'm sure every single penguin fan and every single Pennsburg podcast listener 
wants is some 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 competitive hockey, and we'll see if the Penguins can continue their dominant stretch of play when the NHL hopefully comes out of this COVID pause, uh, whenever that may be. But for Robbie Noggle, I have been Garrett Bahanna. Again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Pennsburg Podcast, and we will talk to you all next week.